It may almost be February today on Recur Now, but we are still on that new year grind. With 14 tech trends to watch closely in 2020. Plus, we've got Charterfy's Michael Klett and our very own Patrick Campbell to share their 2020 billing and pricing predictions. And we also talk with OpenView's Blake Bartlett on product-led growth. All this and more today on Recur Now. From ProfitWell's Boston HQ, it is Thursday, January 23rd. I'm Abby Sullivan. I'm James Herrick. And I'm Grace Gagnon. It's a beautiful day to subscribe. First up, your daily news. Unicorns buying unicorns. The $8 trillion opportunity in wellness tech. Empathy in design. Killer robots. Here are the top tech trends poised to reshape industries in 2020, according to CB Insights. That's right. From 5G networks to the next wave of AR and VR, no industry is immune. The trends in this Tech Trends report, while backed by data, of course, are meant to, quote, shake our faith in steady trend lines. Apparently, they highlight areas in which conditions are ripe for discontinuity and disruption. Using the CB Insights Tech Insights platform, the team there analyzed signals like patent and investment activity, executive chatter and earning transcripts, and media mentions to identify the top 14 tech trends to watch in 2020. And the 68-page report digs into trends like Apple doubling down on healthcare products and services, AI bias becoming a top regulatory concern, radical biohacking, it's a thing, namely biohackers pushing medical devices and regulators to the brink, and empathy becoming a must-have in tech product design and development. So how will this one affect your business or you in general? We'll link to the report so you can see it for yourself. And in a similar realm, Chargeify CEO Michael Klett and ProfitWell's Patrick Campbell took to LinkedIn Live to air out their 2020 billing and pricing predictions. And what tops the list? Well, none other than custom pricing, which essentially means having the ability to customize your price on a person-by-person or segment-by-segment basis. This might mean having certain prices for some segments and certain prices for other segments, or it might mean having more complicated pricing that's not just per user or per hundred visits or thousand contacts, for example. Patrick thinks this one's on the horizon because he knows price is the exchange rate on the value you're providing. Over the past 30 years, billing is what has been holding back pricing. Now that billing is in a really good place, one of the most underappreciated yet important parts of any subscription business, we have the ability to get super close to the customer and price on where the customer finds value. And Michael Klett agrees. Custom pricing has been the realm of the enterprise for a long time. Enterprise companies lend themselves more seamlessly to charging per customer customer and matching a price to a customer. But the tools are getting better. Companies are realizing maybe their product isn't one size fits all. The realization is that there isn't one per price that really works. Now, it's easier for non-enterprise to start to charge custom pricing for each of their users. As always, there is so much more where that came from. We'll link to the full LinkedIn Live in your subscriber newsletter. Let us know what you think and we can chat. Email abby at recurnow.com if you have your own predictions or if you have input on the intel Michael and Patrick have dropped. And finally, Blake Bartlett over at OpenView, the expansion stage venture capital firm, talks with me about product-led growth. Blake wrote an extensive piece on PLG for the OpenView blog. It's called, What is Product-Led Growth? How to Build a Software Company in the End-User Era. And here's what he hopes you get out of it. First off, thanks for hanging with us, Blake. In your own terms, what even is product-led growth? Product-led growth is a go-to-market strategy that relies on the product itself as the primary driver of customer acquisition, conversion, 
and expansion. But how can we more easily conceptualize this? I would say the easiest way to conceptualize what that is, is to ask yourself, and this is what the article says, how did your company adopt Slack? And what I know is true is that your company did not adopt Slack because you went to some random trade show and walked up to the Slack booth and said, what is this thing? And started using it later, right? You also didn't use it because you got a cold call from an SDR pitching you on this tool that you never heard of. And what's up with the bottoms-up approach? In the piece, you use Slack as an example. Can you walk us through that? You adopted Slack because individual end users at your company found it to be helpful and started communicating on it. And then it spread like wildfire. And now everybody uses it. So it's this bottoms-up motion is traditionally what people have referred to this, this as, this means of distribution of software or this means of distributing software. But bottoms up, while it's accurate in describing that it goes from individual employees up the organization and then eventually gets executive budget, it just didn't seem to be particularly descriptive of how these companies actually operate on a day-to-day basis. And what we saw in our portfolio companies like Expensify and Calendly and Datadog was that they were fundamentally uh, leading with products. And you mentioned a lot of aspects that matter with PLG. Design, ease of use, delivering value before hitting a paywall, for example. Do any of these carry more weight than the next one? Or is it simply one bundled package and you just need it all? You need to orient towards the end user, both in terms of the product that you build, you actually have to solve and alleviate their pain, not their boss's pain, but their pain directly. Mm. And then you have to make it something that they can actually adopt on their own. And you claim that sales should be hired last when dealing with a product-led growth initiative. Why is that? How does this differ from a more traditional growth approach? In product-led growth, product leads and sales follows. So the product goes and uh, lands initially, and then there's some initial sort of viral adoption of the product like a Slack or like Dropbox for Business or like Zoom. And then once you see that initial adoption, then that's a great time for a customer success to call in or for sales to call in and to make sure that that initial sort of set of users inside an account are actually getting value out of it. But again, since you're going to individual end users, directing sales resources to try to convert individuals just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so let the individuals adopt the product, let it spread amongst themselves. And then once you see that initial sort of uh, kernel of adoption, lob sales in to help continue the journey that product started. And ultimately, what do you hope we get out of this piece? It's the year 2020. Salesforce started SaaS two decades ago. And for the last two decades, we've been talking about the same best practices, the same SaaS metrics, the same orientation to how can you do better inbound marketing? How can you do better inside sales? How can you get you know your CAC to LTV to be better? But the world has fundamentally shifted and end users are now finding software solutions, buying them and telling their boss which ones um, are going to get budget. And so if you're playing the game that's been played for the last two decades, uh, the Salesforce game, it's going to (laughs) hurt in the next decade from 2020 to 2030. That's going to just be increasingly less effective. And the end user era is here. So build a product for end users, not for their boss, Mm -hmm. and then distribute to end users through self-service. We also have our own piece on product-led growth, a fantastic strategy for consumers and companies. All of this linked in your subscriber newsletter. And that's a wrap on your January 23rd subscription news. Up next, a ProfitWell report on how to price your SaaS offer. For one, it's hard to deny the impact of value metrics on a business, particularly when it comes to growth. When we compare companies utilizing some sort of value metric to those who are strictly using feature differentiated pricing, 
Those who use a value metric are growing at nearly double the rate as their feature differentiated counterparts, and the gap is widening. The growth differential for value metric companies is because you're baking expansion revenue directly into your pricing model. If you've aligned your value metric correctly with your target customer base, then as they use more of that metric, they're naturally inclined to pay you more because they're getting more value. Plus, you won't have to fight tooth and nail to convince them to upgrade for a feature they probably don't need. Gross logo churn rates of those companies who are utilizing a value metric are actually half those of feature differentiated pricing models. Plus, just raw expansion revenue as a proportion of overall revenue is higher, with value metric companies seeing roughly 10 to 25% higher expansion revenue on an absolute basis. Clearly, a value metric is the way to go, but what are some signs you've hit the right one? First, I'd make sure you're seeing this type of throughput from an expansion revenue perspective. If you're seeing less than 15% of your revenue from expansion, you're probably using the wrong value metric. Ultimately, the beauty of the subscription model is that with more and more technology coming into the billing mix, we now have the ability to fulfill the dream of commerce, which is to bake the relationship of our users directly into our pricing model, allowing a symbiosis to germinate and allowing those customers to grow as you continue to provide them more value. And finally, a teaser for Weekend Wisdom, because we'll have some of that for you tomorrow. Next time on Weekend Wisdom. Things were working pretty well. And then suddenly when we raised that money and we brought on two other people that we were working with, we we're like, now we're a real business. Like, And so we started doing all these, we were, I don't know, we say we were playing office, but we were just mimicking things that we thought real businesses should do. Find this and more like it on recurnow.com. And that's it for your January 23rd episode of Recur Now. Check back here tomorrow for more and don't hesitate to reach out to me at abby at recurnow.com if you have news to spread or input on any topic we cover.